Today's podcast is brought to you by Stakeum, the only product that actually cares about the pandemic. The health and safety of this great nation is our passion. While our product destroys public health, our tweets help strengthen it. Wash your hands, then use those hands to open a box of Stakeum. Seriously, we need you idiots to stay virus-free so we can continue to pump you full of delicious, leathery meat. Every morning I've been waking alone Open my eyes and I stare at my phone I can't believe it's been a whole damn year Of me checking the news to see if we're still here But the truth is I don't know if anybody will last I ain't somebody like to live in the past Welcome to the Justin News Podcast. My name is Justin Cross and today my guest... He is the author of The Hidden South, an ongoing project that focuses on sharing intimate portraits and stories of people throughout the Southeast United States. Uh, I swear to God, if folks, you've got to pick this up because it is like a, a coffee table book that will knock you on your ass. Uh, Brent Walker, thanks so much for being my guest. Thanks for asking me. I'm glad to be here. Uh, Brent, this is, like I said, it's, it's, like a, it's like this coffee table book that's beautiful to look at, like just pictures wise, you know, it's just as somebody who, who doesn't know a lot about art, I'm just like, wow, this is really pretty to look at. And then you, you open it up and it like from the first story uh, about a woman named Amy, um, who's dealt with, you know, abuse from, from, uh, you know, her father, drugs, the whole thing, um, raising kids. I mean, it's just, it, it hooks you and it's, it's kind of scary to pick up when you, when you know what's coming, but it's extremely hard to put down. Um, at least that's my take. Is that, you know, as somebody who wrote the book and looking back on it, is that sort of how you feel about it too? I mean, it's, uh, the stories in there are powerful and I intended to write a book full of, um, stories about things that people don't normally talk about, you know, um, the, the real things, the real reasons why people choose the path they choose or, uh, you know, kind of their path is almost chosen for them. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the story, I mean, the, the book was always was meant to be a powerful um, commentary from the people that I talked to about what life is really like for a lot of folks in the South. And so, I, I think it, I... I, I I did what I set out to do, and that was to make a really powerful book. Was was this the first book you've written? Yes, yes, it was. And and what kind of? I mean, for somebody writing their first book, I feel like you. I, I mean, I know your background. You're a photographer, uh, you know, and and an artist. But did you did you have any? Um, were you nervous at all about doing a book that is this? Heavy and serious. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say I was nervous about um, doing a book that was this heavy. Um, I've always been attracted to topics that are more difficult to talk about. Um, but I, I think what I was nervous about was producing a really good book. And like like we said, I'd never done it before. So and I didn't have. Um, you know, I did it all through Kickstarter. I raised all the money on Kickstarter and. So it was kind of all on my shoulders to create something that was really great. And uh, I knew I couldn't do it alone. So I interviewed, you know, quite a few um, kind of publisher for hires, you know, people that would could help me get it over the finish line and, and really do a good job. And I found, um, I found this great uh, company out of uh, Minnesota called Beaver's Pond Press. And 
they they brought the editors to the table. They brought the project manager, you know, um, and and really they helped me do the things that I didn't know how to do. I designed the book myself, and I I did a lot of that uh, heavy lifting. But um, you know, all the things that I didn't know how to do as a first time author, they really helped me out with. That's really that's really cool. And I'm yeah, I imagine yeah. like creatively, it was a you know challenge in that respect. But how do you get people to open up like that? I, mean, I can't even, I, to put this in, like, I can't even get like my brother to tell me why he's a vegan. You know, like you got people to talk about like their deepest, darkest secrets. Like, and you, these are complete strangers. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm not sure I could get either one of my brothers to tell me much either. I mean, I think part <laughs> of it is that they don't know who I am, you know, and, and, um, I think it's pretty clear to people when I approach them that I'm not judging them. I'm not trying to save them. I'm not trying to, um, you know, I'm not trying to do any of the things that a lot of people do when they approach folks who are on the street or who, you know, are suffering from reputation or mental health issues. I'm not, um, yeah, I'm just not, I'm not preaching to them. In fact, I tell people my story a lot of times and that helps people feel comfortable. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm just there. I'm just there to listen, and I think I make that pretty clear to folks. And I don't know. I just it, obviously it doesn't work out with everybody. I just give people the opportunity to tell me uh, something real about their story, and if they take that opportunity, then that that's great. It was you know, kind of, kind of look at it as it was meant to be, you know. And if they don't, then you know, it's not that big a deal. I just let it go and um, move on to the next person, I suppose. Well, I'm definitely going to get you to to interview my brother if you can, just so I can figure out why, how, how. Yeah, I've got some questions about the interview, so I can I can I can press him on that. <laughs> you can peel back some some wires, huh? Um, yeah. Well, I mean, what what you mentioned, like your story. Um, can you can you give me like a little bit of a just overview of your your background, and I think you know how it informed uh, how you went about getting connected to these, these people when you were talking to them? Yeah, I think, um, you know, my, my whole life kind of led up to this, you know, when I was a kid, um, I grew up with parents who, who weren't scared of letting me be around people that were homeless or been through some stuff. Um, my dad had a house for homeless people and I grew up hearing their stories and I knew from a really early age that, you know, everybody had a reason why they kind of, were on the path that they were on. It wasn't by happenstance. Um, so I think that was a big part for me. I'd always wanted to use my camera to kind of help tell those stories. Um, and then later on in life, actually not too much later on in life, I, I had my own issues with addiction. And so I'd come through a lot of that. And I knew that the reason why I was able to finally come through some of that was because I was able to talk about some of the things that happened to me as a child. And those things, the things that happened to me as a child, I didn't talk about until I was in my mid-30s, you know. Like, I, I, was, I had so much fear around, um, you know, for me it was being abused sexually by this guy at the park, and, you know. So I had, I had all this, um, had all these hang-ups about um, talking about that. Um, just because I think being a male in the South and, and that type of thing happening, there was shame on me. You know, it was like, that's the way it felt to me. So I would never, I would never, I never talked about it. And as a result, it had this great weight on my life. And I, um, I don't know, you know, once I was able to talk about it openly, it really had no power over me anymore. 
anymore. So part of it was, you know, this idea of giving people the opportunity to talk about those things and let go of them. Yeah. So kind of all of that has to do with Yeah, yeah. In in the the intro of the book, you I think you you say you know when you're going to AA meetings, they'd always tell you you're only as sick as your secrets, um, and I think yeah. that's <laughs> it, it's it really sets the table for you know um, for 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 the book as a whole. And um, I'm curious, like how is how is it? I know you you and I talked for a minute before our interview now, and and I know you're from Atlanta, so you're from the South, but like. Why, why is it just because you're from here and so you wanted to, to talk about, I mean, why is the South maybe different from other parts of the country and, and why are there, why are the stories here? Like, why did you focus on the South? Well, I think the number one thing is because it's my home and because I, I love it so much here. Um, but, but also we, we in the South, um, tend to suffer from, from, black and white thinking, and I attribute that to, you know, kind of a, uh, you know, the, where the Bible felt, you know, fundamentalist type of, of black and white thinking. And I think that that um, society, unfortunately, where we lock people up a lot and where we don't um, handle addiction in a way we don't need to where they're at, we make, we make them, you know, um, you know, we, we do things like we, we insist that somebody be sober before we help them. You know, that's not that's not realistic for a lot of people. Um, so, so I guess I guess I had this um, I don't want to say anger, but I, I was definitely uncomfortable with the fact, and I always have been uncomfortable with, with the fact that we're we're supposed to be the Bible Belt, and we're supposed to um, you know that there's a certain standard I I think of when I think of that. You know, like even though I'm not a Christian, you should act you know, somewhat like the person you're, you say, follow. And I don't think we do a great job of, of that in a lot of cases. And, and you mentioned when we were talking before, just the prison system. And, uh, you, I mean, that that's a glaring example of how we, you know, just get things so backwards and wrong. But the South is different from the North. I mean, I, I think you can find the type of poverty that, that I talk about and the type of addiction that I talk about anywhere in this country but the South, you know, if you look at the stats, I mean, we we've got a lot of growing to do, and I I think you can't grow until you realize what the problem is, and hopefully, some of my work brings that stuff to light. Absolutely. Um, I, the only thing missing was I was waiting for you to explain to me what it means to say "bless your heart." I was like, "What?" Like, I just need to know what the fuck. <laughs> I've never understood it actually. I never exactly got it, but. Um, <laughs> well, bless, bless the heart is the epitome of passive aggressiveness, and basically, <laughs> uh, is, is it passive aggressive? I think it is. I think it's like the most passive aggressive you can get. <laughs> uh, bless your heart, you don't know any better. Bless your heart, you, uh, yeah, bless your heart. Yeah. <laughs> when you look back at it, was there, um, you know, uh, the book, and because I know it is, it is, I assume, still an ongoing project for you and, and in, you know, various forms. And it's a story that, you know, these types of stories, will, you know, can always be told and need to be told and keep being told. But is there a story just in this book that you look back and you're like, holy shit, man, like, it blew, because I imagine after a while you get, 
not used to it, but you, you've, you've heard a lot of these things. And even in your own experiences, you've heard a lot of crazy stuff and you've experienced crazy stuff personally, but was there a story that just blew you out of the water and it, it sticks with you today? I mean, there were so many that blew me out of the water. Um, but, but like you said, you know, I have heard a lot of stories, so I don't think there's any that, um, there's, there's a bunch of stories that still stand out to me. There's actually, there's a story about Tori and she's, um, in, in the book, I, I took her to treatment, which I usually don't do. I don't bring it up. She happened to say that she was on her way to treatment that day when I met her, and she didn't have a ride, so I, I said I'd give her a ride. But on the way, you know, she insisted on stopping and smoking crack, and um, there's pictures in the book of, of her doing that. Um, but her and I encountered each other again. Um, I was working on something with a, a PR station in Atlanta, and it, uh, the story never came to light. Uh, but anyway, I, I came upon her again, and we tried to take her back to her grandmother's house. And most recently, like a few days ago, she contacted me on Facebook and um, told me she was still really struggling. So, you know, I there are stories, there are people, I should say, more than the stories that, that um, haunt me a little bit. And I think hers is one of them. It's... Uh, I didn't really get the whole story on her, the, the story on her from her. I got it from her mom when I met her mom. And, um, you know, it was pretty hard, you know. Yeah, so, yeah, no, I yeah, there's a, lot of, a lot of sexual abuse, a lot of, um, and not just her, but with, you know, I actually had to cut some of the, the stories of sexual abuse out because I didn't want the book to be specifically about that. But that was what came up more than anything. Um just over and over and over again in the stories. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, and, and, and it's amazing that you you had to cut a lot of it because, or you had to cut some of that because, um, not that there's there's tons of it or anything, but there is. It, it it just seems to be a common thread in so many of them, and it's you know it's brutally honest. Um, and and I'm wondering, like, you mentioned that she contacted you back. Um, do you hear from a lot of other? of the folks that you interviewed in the book? And I mean, now that they are, uh, semi-famous. <laughs> I, I wouldn't say a lot. Um, but there have been at least, I would say, 20 encounters with people that are in the book since the book has come out. Um, so a lot of times what will happen is somebody will see them in the book and they'll tell them about it. Um, you know, I'm based in New Orleans now. And so uh, some of the people that are from New Orleans uh, will come in and, and they'll see themselves in the book and I'll give them a copy of the book. And there was a guy named uh, Robert that used to come in like once a week and he would bring people by, like bring people in to, to read his story. And um, So yeah, I mean, I, I like hearing from people. I like hearing when people are doing good, especially. Um, I, you know, I, I've had people, like I had someone uh, named Becca, she's in the book. And she, not too long after the book came out, and told me that she'd been sober for a while, and that she was in a management program, doing really well. So, uh, yeah, I love I love hearing from folks. I'm not real great at reaching out and keeping in touch with people myself. Today's podcast is brought to you by Steakum Frozen Beef Slices. We put the um in amazing. Don't take it from us. Listen to what actual satisfied customers have said. Our first review is from Deidre, who says, 
Absolutely horrible. Actually can't believe people consume this. It tastes like meat mixed with cardboard. No, thank you, Deidre. And here's one from Amanda. This stuff is greasy, crumbly, and I really can't describe the smell and flavor other than terrible and overpowering. I made these a week ago and find myself cringing every time I think about them. So true, girlfriend. So true. And finally, if you're not already convinced, listen to Stiz2003, who writes, This is worse than the McDonald's pink slime. It's basically the garbage from butchering beef. The horrid taste of it talked to me all night. Well, who doesn't love to be talked to all night? If you ask us, that's a product that cares. Stakeup, filling your heart with love and heavily processed animal fat, but mostly love. Now I'm worried that it's making us sick. The bad news is beginning to stick. Have we all become desensitized? Is there anybody left who wouldn't be surprised if a tidal wave came or atom bombs rained or trees turned to flames or if presidents were game show hosts? One of the things that stood out to just kind of from a creative standpoint is is the, the, the pictures that you, you took and that you put in there and how they kind of complemented the stories that you wrote. Um, tell me about that process. Like how... Was that a challenge for you? I know that's that's kind of uh, a lot of your background. I, I think is is you know f- as a photographer. But was that um, did you find that to be a challenge at all to make sure that you had the right photos that really went with these extremely um, tough stories? No, I, I think that it was um, I, everything about creating that book came easy and I don't want to say it was easy to do but what I will say is that sometimes you get you you I don't know you create a project and it doesn't happen often enough unfortunately but but the wind is at your back and every the right people just show up and come into your life and the right places showed up and came into my life and and all of it just kind of came together the way I the way I work on stuff when I'm working on like a like a, a thing like a book you know that's a container that's kind of holds a bunch of things is I go out and I try to get as many um, kind of tools to work with as I possibly can, as many pieces of the puzzle as I can. And then I, I come back and I've got all of this information and I just start kind of piecing it together and, and putting the pieces of the puzzle together. So, um, and that's how I did this. I just, I worked on it every day for, you know, about a year and a half. And I just, at the end of that, I had all of this content and I just, started putting the content together and it was there you know it was all there that's that's so cool and 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 are you planning to um how does this project continue for you oh well that's complicated um i for about a year a i mean when year, when, when do you yeah. when do you go in dr phil like or dr oz is my question like when you know <laughs> When do you like? When, I when will I see you at Barnes and Noble uh, doing the? Or maybe you already do. I don't know. Yeah, I've, I've been in some Barnes and Noble, but it was never. Um, I mean, it, this was all kind of ground up. Uh, fans of the project really stepped up, and you know, fans of Kickstarter really stepped up and made this thing happen. I don't have a large publishing company, so I, and I honestly um, I don't really seek out a, a whole lot of. Um, I probably should and, and, and bigger opportunities. I think what I'm 
what I'm interested in is doing the work, and I would love to get it in front of more people. I would love to, you know, for um, for the for, for for that type of opportunity to come along. Um, I just I don't. I guess I just don't seek it out. Um, I'm, I'm, I, I guess I'm a big believer in just do the work, and, and eventually that that kind of stuff will happen. Um, I don't know. I, I really don't know. I don't have a publicist. I don't have any of those things. So I just I just get up every day and do my job, and hopefully somebody will find it. Yeah, you you do an amazing job, and and uh, I, I'll tell you, Brent. I talk to a lot of politicians, so. Uh, this just sounds weird to listen to that you don't seek attention because um, <laughs> being being a middle child uh, and a podcast host who interviews politicians, that's all I'm trying to do. I'm just trying to whore myself as out as much as possible here. So, um, I, and I, I don't get me wrong. I don't, it's not that I don't like attention. I would love for these stories and, and the, the work that I do to get as much attention as possible. I guess I just only have so many hours in the day, and I don't focus my I don't focus my time on likes and and getting you know. I just I, I right now I just try to create as much content as I can. I, I'm also well aware that I only have some so many you know minutes and hours on this planet, and what do I want to what do I want to spend those hours doing? Yeah. Um, to me, that's creating more work and, and collecting more stories. Yeah. Yeah. Something I want to ask you about actually on that on that note is is the last the last uh, story you have in there is about somebody who hiked the Appalachian Trail um, while he he was I think still going through le- leukemia treatments and um, it kind of put a nice um, it was it was it was uplifting I felt like and it kind of went to the same point you just made but. Um, I mean, feel free to talk about that story too, but I'm just wondering like in general, how, like, what was your, you had all these stories and I imagine like you, you were really, was it, you know, you said it came together really well, but was there ever a challenge in like trying to order these stories in a way that, you know, um, oh, you know, like you, you, you pack a punch in the beginning and then you, you finish it off, I think in a, in a bit of an uplifting way. Um, but was there there a lot of thought into how to order these, how to create kind of a, a real storyline uh, throughout the book? Yeah, there definitely was. I, I, um, I and, and the first time I ordered them, I made a really rookie mistake. And and one of the reasons I had, I'm so grateful for the, the publishing company that I hired to help me is because they helped they helped me see the error of how I arranged it the first time. And the way I arranged it the first time is I kind of grouped things together in a very um, simple way. And what I did, what I ultimately did is I ended up throwing that whole system out. I, you know, you didn't want, ultimately I didn't, you don't want masses of the same thing in a book like this. What you want to create is a flow. And that's what I did. So there's not chapters, there's not, there's, loose sections but basically what I did was I created a flow and um, that's that's what happened so I I tried to it ended up being about breaking up some of the pain with with hope and um, making sure that that there was um, a sufficient amount of there was a a good way to get through it without choking on the pain I mean it really uh, that sounds horrible but like I uh you know, you had to break up the pain with, with hope. 
And that was the, the primary driver in how I organized the book was, was that kind of premise. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, was, there yeah. A, was there a story in there that, that or maybe more stories? Like, were there s- certain stories or a story that made you laugh? Oh, I mean, sure, there were some. Like, I, I have uh, uh, one in there, I think her name was Tootie, and she ended up, she ended up praying for me <laughs> during, the, during the interview, and that was, that was pretty funny. Um, <laughs> why I mean, did, why I, did she pray for you? But the way, way she just, I don't know, I think she drank a little bit that day. She just was convinced <laughs> that she needed to pray for me, so I love it. Yeah, there's, uh, there's, there's, there's some weather. There's some weather. Um, not, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to think of another one. Because there is a lot of, a lot of stuff. You know, I, I included a story from this artist named Rob Seven, who's out of Asheville. And I, I included that because, you know, he, he was unlike a lot of the people that I interviewed, you know. Um, he wasn't on the street. He was actually a very successful folk artist, I would say. Um, but, but, you know, it, it gave hope, you know, and, and there, there was some levity. And it was it was about kind of finding who you were and, and coming home, which means, you know, come home is the name of the book. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's some lighter moments in there. And, oh, there's another, there was another one in there, and I cannot remember. There's about 100 portraits and stories in the book, so I have a, I have a tough time with names sometimes. But there was one in there... Um, a lady was, uh, she was a sex worker, but she was talking about being in massage school, and I think it was it was around her fear of, she didn't finish massage school because she was scared of old, old men trying to touch her or something. I don't know. The way she said it was funny, yes, there was some <laughs> I, I don't think I explained all that very well, but, but yes. No, no, no. Well, I, <laughs> I think what you did though is you just get you just teased it a little bit. You know, you, you think you gave you gave enough of a tease. Now that you know, people are going to be like, "Shit, I want to read that part." You know, um, <laughs> what was, um, you know, I, I like I said, I interview a lot of politicians on the podcast, and you know, not that, not that that to make this political at all, but like I imagine. When you're your own experiences, but when you're interviewing folks like these, this, you have to in some ways connect it to opportunities and um, things that that you know decisions that can be made maybe on a governmental level at some point. Where's, what's maybe like one thing that stands out that you're like, man, like this really needs to change uh, on a governmental level, um, and it would it would really help a lot of the folks that that are um, going through. What I what I encountered. I mean, there's just so much. It's hard to it's hard to <laughs> pin down just one or two things. But uh, you know, I, I think in general, what we suffer from is a, a lack of connection. And I think that what the common denominator between almost everybody that I talked to in the book was they had broken connections from a very young age. Usually, broken connections with the people that mattered most in their lives. We don't, as a society, provide a lot of opportunities to heal those connections. And in fact, what we do is we, we further um, disconnect people when we incarcerate them. Um, and so things like that have to change. I mean, we have to change uh, the way that we lock people up. That's crazy. 
you know, for the, the mental health stuff, we just don't have any opportunities for people with low income in the South um, to to get help. I mean, the way that we the way that we manage mental health, and in, in, especially in the South, but in the country in general, is through the prison system, and and that's screwed up. Um, so these people that need to learn how to reconnect to peers and to society and to family if possible and that type of thing what we do instead of helping them reconnect is we further disconnect them we put them in solitary confinement we damage their mental health instead of help you know help heal them uh, so those are just a, a few things I've thought in my head Today's podcast is brought to you by Steakum, the most amazing frozen sliced beef you've never tried delicious beef trimmings formed into a large block, frozen, then sliced thin. Mm -mm, Now that's the American dream. The possibilities are endless. Of course you can make a delicious Philly cheesesteak, but you could also make spicy fajitas or give that wussy salad you're eating a little hot beef injection. The fun doesn't stop there. Steakums can also be used as a heavy-duty scrubbing sponge, replacement shingles on your roof, a ceiling patch for leaking bicycle tires, or to stop the bleeding from fresh knife or bullet wounds. Steakum's thinly sliced mystery meat. The only mystery is finding something you can't use it for. All this pigeon's got me starting to think. I could battle with the pen and the ink. But if I really want to get through the gate, I gotta try to be kind to all the people I hate. And I've been feeling like a soldier on the edge of the earth. Weighing every movement to decide what it's worth And now I'm done looking back And I'm vetting my facts And I'm fixing this crap So the world isn't scrap I have a, So I, I do a segment on the podcast, Brent Called Five Lazy Questions I Wrote in Five Minutes um, So I hope you will, uh, will go with me on this And indulge me um, okay. so, Some of these questions are complete fluff um, Actually, pretty much all of them are There may be one that, that has some substance to it But uh but I do want to know, uh, first question, you've lived in, you know, Atlanta, now New Orleans, I, I imagine maybe other parts of the South. What is your favorite city in the South? Oh, well, uh, there's no doubt about that one. New Orleans is by far my favorite city. Although, I will say, um, I mean, New Orleans is my favorite city for a lot of reasons, but I would say the primary reason New Orleans is my favorite is because uh, it embraces weirdos. It embraces the fringes of society, and it, it embraces artists and all the people that um, the rest of the South, you know, in, in a lot of ways, um, doesn't embrace. You know, everybody is everybody is, is welcome here. It seems like mm-hmm. um, it's a beautiful place, and it's not it's not superficial either. It's, it's deep rooted here and uh, you can really feel it. It's a special place. If you're from if you're from out if you're from out of town and you never visited New Orleans, mm-hmm. where do you you know, like what's the place that people have to check out uh in New Orleans? Uh, that's tough. I mean I, everybody's everybody's different, but try to get outside the French quarter for sure. Yeah. Um you know, there's so many great parts of the city, and the, the French Quarter is great too. I, I would say most locals don't frequent Bourbon Street unless they work on it. Right. Um, so definitely get off of Bourbon Street and go check out. You know, you, I think we met on Frenchman Street, but you know that that is um, 
a great place to see music. You know, if you want to go to a, a little bar and see some really great music, a lot of a lot of good stuff happens over there. Yeah, I love for, for as far as music venues go, um, Tipitina's is is probably my favorite place to to go see a show. What's it called? So if anything good, Tipitina's. Tipitina's, uh, okay. Tipitina's, yeah. Okay. It's, it's uh, it's got a long history. Okay. Wonderful place. See, I'm, I'm really just I'm really just trying to get tourist advice right now, so I appreciate that. Yeah, well, there, there you go. <laughs> All of a sudden, yeah. this just turns into like a Yelp review. I'm like, okay, so what do you think about this restaurant? Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, is there a city? This is my second or third question. I don't know. Is this a? Is there a city outside of the South that reminds you of the South? Is there a city outside the South that reminds me of the South? Um, boy. No, not that I can really think of. Uh, you know, and unfortunately, L.A. reminds me of Atlanta in, in the way that it sprawls out and, you know, traffic is hell and that type of thing. But as far as, like, really reminding me of the South, like the, the essence of the South, uh not anywhere I've been. No. Okay. Um, as long as, yeah, when I think of the South, I think of the food and the music and that that type of thing. And, uh, you know what? I, I will say this: I haven't spent any time in Harlem, but I feel like, based on, um, I just, I just, uh, I've kind of halfway through a book. Uh, I'm Marcus Samuelson. I think that's how you say his name. He's a he's a chef. Um, but he, 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 he's done this, this really cool audio book about Harlem. And I get a lot of the same feelings about the music in Harlem uh, as New Orleans. And, I, you know, next time I go to New York, I really want to try to spend some time in Harlem. I'm excited about that connection. Very cool. Um, but, yeah. Very cool. That's all I got. Um, so another question I have for you. I know you have some upcoming projects that you're working on. One of them uh, I read on your, your website is called Inked Soul. Um, I want you to tell folks about that, but also, I'm I'm curious. I'm you know as a guy who uh, I'm I'm assuming I'm assuming you may have a tattoo. Uh, if so, what what if if you don't mind, like tell me about maybe one of your tattoos and and like what that means to you. Sure. Um, yeah. So, Ink Soul is um, I, I I have this idea and I've been working on it passively for a few years. Just kind of whenever I encounter anybody with um, knuckle tats, I, I, you know, I ask them if there's a story behind them, and oftentimes there is because knuckle tats are, you know, people put some thought into that usually, uh, and, and it means something because you know the whole world's going to see it. So a lot of times it's a message of what your life is or what your life will become, or um, you know that type of thing. But to cover my book, uh, my first, you know, the only book that I have out right now. Uh, the Hidden South Come Home has knuckle tats on it that say come home. So I'm, I'm fascinated with them, and I, I like the stories behind them, and I think it's going to, you know, eventually once I get enough of these, uh, I'll probably produce a book uh, around the stories and the pictures of knuckle tats that I've um, gathered up. Uh, I do, I, you know, for, for years, for a couple of years after the book came out, the book came out in 2016, uh, I really thought about what I wanted for my own knuckles. Um, and eventually what I got was, um, evolving, which says, 
evolving on my my knuckles. And I, I love the pad. I got it done in a typewriter font. So, you know, because my own evolution comes through my work, which, you know, is the writing and telling pictures. So I love this pad. Um, not sick of it yet. Very cool. Very cool. Um, yeah. A couple more for you. Um, you know, a lot of stuff you do is uh, very cerebral, you know, heady, deep types of um, creative creative things that you do. And mm-hmm. it's extremely impressive. But what is, like, the most basic bitch thing that you do? Like, do you watch The Bachelor? Like, what is the thing? Is there anything that you do that's just, like, just, like, you know, what is it called? You know, just, like... That you can just turn your brain off and not think, and it's like not that serious. Um, I'm on my third time watching The Office, <laughs> so that's about as basic as it gets. Have you worked um, in The Office before? I have, yeah. Before I, I got spent probably 17 years ago when I got paid off from. I used to be the creative director for a large bank. And um, I got laid off that position last 17 years ago, and I haven't had another full-time position since then. Thank God. Because um, <laughs> it was, it was soul-crushing for somebody like me. I mean, I, I really, being in an office environment was not, not for me. But, um, yeah, so I really, I really, I really connect with a lot of the characters on that, on that show. It is hilarious. And I don't watch, I don't watch, um, Hardly any reality TV, but I do love Big Frida. Have you ever seen Big Frida? No, I've heard of it. Uh uh-uh. what, what is it about? Okay. Big Frida is a uh, New Orleans icon, um, and and she does uh, bounce music is is what it's called, and it was kind of the precursor to it's my understanding. It was the precursor to twerking, right? So oh. it's, <laughs> she actually has a, a show on Hulu. <laughs> it's all about her life. I, I love it. In fact, not too long ago, I went to the dry cleaners in the Treme, and I bumped into Big Frida, and I, I fanboyed big time. Uh, <laughs> That's great. Yeah. So I'm, uh, I'm, a big, I'm a big, big Frida fan. That's great. That's awesome. Yeah. Um. Well, my last my last question for you here. Um, yeah. This this is I'm really wondering what was the, what was the the number one thing you learned from from writing this book, from writing the Hidden South. I mean, I think it's back to connection. I really think that you know I knew that all of this stuff existed. I think you know I, I knew that there was tremendous abuse that you know, that nobody talks about, and I knew that, um, I guess I, what I did, what, what crystallized for me during this was the connection thing, was the fact that people are broken because the connections with people that are, that humans that were supposed to protect them are broken, or were broken at an early age, and a lot of stuff happens before, you know, before 12 years old, you know, and, and I, I think that if we can we can figure out ways to curb that and to, to stop it. Um, we're going to be a lot better off, but that takes prioritizing, you know, it takes, um, funding, it takes education, it takes all that stuff that, that, that costs a little bit up front. 
but we can be smart about it and spend the money up front or we can pay for it on the back end with uh, with societies, with neighborhoods where, you know, most of society didn't want to go to those neighborhoods because they're so bad, that type of thing, because we don't invest anything in them. So I, I think that uh, it really is about that, that connection and, and healing those connections when you do that. I mean, some of the best people I've ever met are in recovery. You know, some of the best people I've ever met are have come on the other side of these things. And um, we just need to figure out how to help more people get there. Well, I got a bonus question. Then. How, how can, how do you feel like, I mean, you, you've, you've talked to a lot of these folks. You yourself have been through, through stuff. Um, how can, like, the average person who picks up this book maybe hasn't gone through the types of things that the folks in the book have, have gone through, but how can they, besides just learning and understanding and listening, like, how can, how can everybody help? How can we all get involved in, in trying to make you know, make our society better, but also specifically like these, you know, folks who've, who've been on, on the other side of things before. I think it's different for everybody. I think you have to kind of seek out, um, your own, your own skills and be honest about what you can do to help. I mean, if it's, um, passing out clean needles to people and, and, and lending a ear to them while they're still in the middle of their addiction, then, then, then maybe that's a good thing for you. If it's, uh, you know, like I, I give you an example for me, you know, I, uh, I haven't been to a 12 step meeting in many, many years. And I, um, I decided early on that I wasn't like a good sponsor or I wasn't good at, at, at like helping people in that way. But for me, I found, um, I found photography and I found um, that people are willing to open up to me and I found that I have these these things that actually could help people. I think a lot of folks have those things. There's just, you know, you got to seek them out. You've got to spend the time to, to really figure out what what your thing is. You know, if, it, if it's hauling around a trailer that, that has shower stalls in it for people that are on the street to get a good, clean shower, if it's, uh, you know, whatever it is, whether it's a Band-Aid or whether it's, it's actually helping get to the core of what the, what the problem is, um, I think the biggest thing that people can do is just treat people decently, treat people the way you would want uh, them to treat your son or daughter if they were in that situation. I thank you so much. I mean, I think for me, like, you know, I just, just pick up the book and you know, I haven't read all the stories in there because <laughs> it is, it's, it, I don't know. I'd be impressed if there's one person who can read through all these stories at the same time and not, um, just cry their, their ass off. But, um, you know, reading these stories, I gain myself, I feel like a greater sense of empathy and understanding, you know? And, um, so thank you for what you've done and, uh, and thanks so much for, for being on the podcast. I, I really, really appreciate it. Oh, it was my pleasure. Thanks again for asking me. And and one last thing, Brent. Um, where can people go to to buy the book um, and to learn about all the projects you're working on? I know you've got uh, thehiddensouth.com. Um, is there any? Are there any other places people can go to to buy the book and uh, to again learn more about you and learn more about the projects you're working on? Um, South. Um, Facebook, the Hidden South, although I, I am not doing as much with social media as I once was, I probably will crank that up again soon. Um, and you can buy the book in other places. Uh, you can buy it on Amazon. However, I prefer 
burger if you buy it on my website. So hiddenstuff.com is, is the spot. Um, you can also see a lot of the, the other pictures that I, that I have and they're available as well. Yeah, go to the hiddenstuff.com, folks, and uh, while you're cooped up at home over the next... Hopefully just a few weeks, maybe a few months. We'll see. But uh, go, go to hiddensouth.com and buy, um, buy the book. Brent, thank you so much again for, for being the guest on the podcast. My pleasure, Justin. Thanks so much.